The Real Estate Colorado Clayton Cast. I'm Clayton Rauscher, broker associate with Gourmet Real Estate, Inc., located here in Denver, Colorado. When you know of someone looking to buy or sell real estate in the greater Denver and Boulder area, please reach out to Clayton at GourmetRealEstate.com or 602-989-3960. Today, we have Dick Gerard, loan consultant with Caliber Home Loans, and is also a podcaster with the podcast titled Colorado Real Estate Experience. Thank you for coming on, Dick. Thanks for having me, Clayton. Excited to have you here. You definitely have an awesome setup here. This podcast is only audio, but I love your studio that you have. Oh, thanks. Thanks. Been doing this stuff for a little while. That's awesome. Well, great. We'll jump right into it. Tell us about your business and Caliber Home Loans. Well, yeah, I've, I've been in the business in finance for many, many, many years, over 20 years. And I've been on all sides of the spectrum from the Wall Street side to even doing some commercial and residential real estate to now exclusively doing mortgage loans for residential. My whole purpose and goal is to help families build wealth through real estate and really take them from the start of their first time to building up rental properties if they want to, or just moving up from one house to a bigger house to those types of things. So whatever fits people's investment goals, that's what we help them do. So we don't just do the one mortgage and you're gone. We stay with you throughout the years. My picture's on your mortgage statement, so I'm always there for you, my contact information. So anytime you need help with with anything real estate related, you can come back to me and we'll help you through the process. But it's really about fitting real estate into your financial world, which is a lot of people think about it as a house and place to live, but it is usually your most expensive and biggest investment that you ever do. So we want to make sure that you make all the right decisions when you first do that, but also planning going forward on, on whatever you're, you're looking to do. That's awesome. And before I forget, I'll share some contact information for Dick. 303-882-8626 is his cell phone number. And his email is richard.gerard at caliberhomeloans.com. So you mentioned first-time home buyers, Dick. What would you recommend that a new buyer know before they go into this whole process? Yeah, I, I think with first-time home buyers, there's three things that I, I kind of want to cover today. And the first thing is why buy now or should you buy now? Two different things, but kind of the same questions that you have to ask yourself. The next thing is just showing a, a rent versus owning type of analysis and the finances that, that go with that. Should you be renting or is it better to own? And then kind of go over some down payment assistance programs that we offer and that there's, there's a lot of myths out there on how much you have to put down. Do you have to put 20% down? Do you have to save a lot? So we'll kind of go through those things. So if we start off with the, the first thing on there, why buy now? So I think that everybody ha has a different opinion on kind of where we are in the market and where things where things are going. A lot of us lived through 2008, where we had a, a huge housing bubble that kind of uh, crashed and a lot of people lost their houses and lost a lot of money during that time. And a lot of people are kind of equating this time because prices have gone up so much to that 2007, 2008. 
there's a couple big differences that I kind of want to point out here. If you look at back then in 2007, 2008, just to give you a, a little example, there was about 30,000, 27 to 30,000 houses on the market in the Denver metro area at that time. So now we are what, 12 years later? So we've had a lot more people in here. You kind of have to estimate, but there's probably a half a million more people, maybe even a million more people that have either grown up to the age of buying a house or have moved into the Denver metro area. So we have more people. And I just looked at the MLS right before we came on, and there was about 7,400 houses for sale in the Denver metro area. So 2008, there was 30,000, and now there is 7,400. So that's a huge difference, right? And why is that? Well, there's a couple of reasons for that. And in 2008, a lot of home builders, a lot of the, the real estate, they went out of business and there was a lot of foreclosures. There was a lot of homes for sale, right? 30,000 homes for sale. So they stopped building. And they stopped building for four or five years. They really didn't build a lot of houses, but we still had people growing up and needing houses and that. So now we're trying to catch up to that deficiency of houses that we have. So it's a typical supply and demand problem. If we have too much supply, that's where you kind of run into the bubble situations. Right now, we have way more demand than we have supply. And they're just not building enough houses to take care of that supply. And that's why is because of what happened in 2008. And it's really logical when you walk through it, but people keep thinking that we're just going to, well, all of a sudden there's going to be more houses for sale. Well, I, I just don't think that that's the case. And so I think that that is my argument for prices not dropping in the Denver, and even this is across the country, but especially here in the Denver metro area, I don't think it's going to rise as fast as it has in the last few years. But it's kind of like going down the freeway at 80 miles an hour. And now you slow down to 40, you're still going forward, you know, but not going backwards. So those prices, a 400, $450,000 house is not going to be worth 400,000 this summer or next year because of a, a housing bubble. I think that house is still going to be worth more than what you buy it for now. And then there's a demographic thing where we have some demographics that are showing that we're going to have a surge in first-time home buyers here in the next 3 years because of what happened 35 years ago. There was kind of a little baby boom back then. We're actually going to have more demand than we have in the last five years coming here. So I, I think that is kind of my take on kind of where I think we're going and where we are and why you should, if you can buy a house and it makes sense for you financially, you should do it as soon as you can. Does that make I, sense? Totally. Yeah. I would completely agree with you that right now is definitely not equal or comparable to the 2008 times because that was a time when we were doing subprime mortgages and people were getting loans when they probably should not have been. And then also now we're facing, yeah, like you said, the huge shortage of inventory and also things that are exacerbating that are the material shortage and labor shortage. 
I did want to mention the high inflation going on right now. And real estate historically has been a great hedge against high inflation. So oh, absolutely. I'm hoping to expand my share in real estate this year as well. Great explanation, Dick. If you want to continue with rent versus own. Yeah. So rent versus owning. There's a lot of things that go into your determination on if you should buy a house or if you should continue renting. And that is your job situation, your family situation. Are you planning on leaving Colorado in the next few years? That type of thing. Those questions have to be answered um, before you can really decide. But financially, it usually makes more sense to own. Everybody's always heard, hey, you want to rather pay yourself than pay a landlord, right? And you might as well put your mortgage, your, your, your rent, to work for, for yourself. But what, what exactly does that mean in real numbers? And um, I'm going to make this stuff available to, to anybody who wants it so you can actually see the numbers. But I just did a, a quick thing on a $450,000 house and where those kind of numbers lay out. If you are renting, let's say $2,000 or $2,500. That's kind of the average rent. And we can do numbers for any of these and kind of make it make sense. But for that, you, your mortgage at $450,000 price range is about $2,600 right now. And a lot of that money is going to pay your mortgage down, and then you also get the appreciation of your house going up in the future. So if you do the real numbers on it, after 10 years, you're going to make, if you rent for 10 years versus buying now, 10 years later, you're going to have a net worth of $279,000 if you buy a place versus renting. Now, there's not a lot of places that you can put your money in and make that kind of money. And this isn't like buying Apple stock or IBM stock because you can't live in your Apple stock, right? You got to live somewhere, right? So you're going to be paying to live somewhere anyways. So why not try to make a little bit of money while you're doing it? And that's what I talked about at the beginning of building wealth for yourself and your family in 10 years on a $450,000 place that's under the median home price in the town. And you're still making $280,000 in 10 years. That's just by paying your mortgage. Yes. You know? I see the passion in your face. I love it. You did mention timing as well. So what if someone, a common question that I get is, what if I don't know if I'm going to stay in Colorado long-term what if I'm only here a year? What if I'm here three years? What's your take on that? It depends on your financial situation. And, and we'll look, look at all that. If you're putting everything into a house and all of your savings and, and everything, and you can't afford to live, I, I, I think if you're moving in less than a year, I probably would not buy. And if you're moving, and that's when we start looking if you're going to stay for more than a year, then we start looking at, at buying a place and having it make sense. But anytime between one and three years, you got to really kind of weigh the good and the bads because it's possible your house won't go up tremendously. It depends on your 
risk tolerance and the amount of money that you have in reserves to be able to make that next move. Where is the next move? Are you going to Europe or are you going to Texas? That makes a difference too. So we'll look at all of those things and, and help you make those decisions. But I think one to two years is kind of the breaking point for me where you really start looking at a place. The other thing is if you do buy a place and you're moving in a year, could you turn that place into a rental and buy somewhere else? So it still might make sense depending on what your capabilities of moving are, because a lot of my clients right now are keeping their place. They just closed on a place this morning where they had their first house that they bought and they're moving into a new place and they turned that one into a rental. So now they're real estate investors on top of having their house that they can have their family and everything and that type of thing. So there's lots of things that you have to kind of consider if you're willing to be a now and being a landlord isn't for everybody. It's the greatest job in the world if you have a great renter and it's the worst job in the world if you don't. So it's not for everybody, but it is a definite way to build wealth uh, for, for your family and keep that cash flow coming in. I know for certain loans, the requirement is to be owner-occupied for, is it two years? Is that correct? 12 months. 12 months only. So let's say yep. a scenario, someone decides they're moving to Colorado, they're going to buy a house, maybe in two years, they're going to move away. They want to change it into a rental property. What are your thoughts on this person? They do not want to be a landlord and they want to turn it over to a property management company. Do you know what kind of splits that these companies take? Or is that something that you would consider for yourself? Or would you rather be the landlord? No, I, I think it, do, it totally makes sense to have somebody else run that part of it because there is a lot of headaches to dealing with tenants and dealing with all that kind of thing. It really depends on your financial situation and kind of what you're looking for. Because for me, as a real estate investor, if I'm buying a place or I'm turning a primary residence in, into a, a property like you were talking about, I don't necessarily need to make a tremendous amount of money on that cash flow. So let's give an example here. If my mortgage is $2,500 and I get $2,500 in, in rent, so I'm not making a lot of money each month, I'm still making that appreciation on the house. And also when you talked earlier about inflation, if you put, let's just do some quick, some quick math here. If you put 5% down on a $450,000 place. Okay. That's 22,500, right? So if that place, and historically we're making 4.7, 4.8% appreciation is kind of where we're at. So 405,000 times 4.7% is 19,000 a year. So you're almost making a hundred percent on your money in one year because you only put 22,000. So you think of it like a bank account. If you have that 22,000 in a bank, you're making a half a percent, you're going to be making 150 bucks. If you put that money in the house, even when you're not making a ton of money on your rent. Now, in this market, I think you can make four or $500 or even a thousand. I have clients making over $1,000 in cash flow each month. But even if you're not, you can use it as a place to park some money to hedge against inflation. 
because that house is going to appreciate up and it's going to be worth more. And you're not putting a whole lot into it when you buy it as a primary residence. But even if you're putting 20% down, you're still, you're still gaining a tremendous amount on the appreciation because the appreciation is on the price of the house, not what you put in on down payment. So it makes it a much more positive investment than if you're buying it for cash. Mm-hmm. Does another, that make sense? That makes sense. Yes. Another scenario. What if someone goes in, they put 20% down payment on their first house. And then two years from now, they've saved up another 20% and they want to buy their second house. They transition into the second house. What are your thoughts about building wealth through that model of just continually saving up and then flipping over to a, a rental property? Oh yeah. I think it's great. I have people that only put 5% down and do that. And each year you have to wait a year to do that. But if you wait a year and and use it as your primary residence, now you can turn it into a rental. And, but if you put 20% down or 5%, I have a couple clients, one client that has nine rental properties right now by doing that. Another one that has five. And so we do this a lot with our clients. It's an actual strategy. Every two years, they're looking to move up and and buy something else or just buy an investment. Some of them just buy an investment property if they find their dream house at some point. But a lot of them just move every couple of years into a different place and then and keep doing that. And you only have to wait a year, but sometimes it might take a while to find the right place. And are these typically 30-year fixed rate mortgages or are they 15? Yeah, it, it all depends on, on the situation. The 30-year fixed has been the best way to go in the last few years, but a while ago, there was ARM loans and five and 10-year loans that you could do that, and, and they're coming back a little bit because of the way interest rates have shot up a little bit. They're a little bit lower interest rates. Some people that have a plan of pulling the appreciation out also, maybe cashing out in two or three years with a cash out refinance or something like that or selling the place within 10 years, you might do a seven or 10 year loan. Most of what people do is a 30 year fixed loan. And I can show people how to make a 30 year into a 15 year by just paying a little bit more each month or or one time a year. Mm -hmm. That's great. Great information, Dick. If you want to continue, you can either develop that second point more if you want to continue with the down payment assistance. I think just to wrap up the, the buy versus rent. For me, when I was younger, I rented. I, I thought about buying early, but I liked to move around and I was flexible with what I wanted to do for my job and my business so I could jump to another state real quick and go back and forth. So renting made sense to me. Now, financially, I would have been better off if I would have bought and done that, but I needed the flexibility because of what I was doing for for my job. So I think that has a lot to do with it. If you are going to be in one place for two or three years, I think it definitely makes more financial sense to buy versus rent. The other thing that I think is crucially important that we are having a problem with right now is a lot of people are getting priced out of the rental market too. So buying is a way to fix in your living costs. Because if you do a 30-year fixed loan, your principal and interest is not going to change. So you might change a little bit with the taxes and insurance going up, but it's not going to be where, where renting 
It's going up every year. And with the supply and demand that we have here, it's going up way more than it would if you own. So it's a way to lock in. If you have a job that you're only getting a 3% raise or a 4% raise every year, or maybe you own a business and your business fluctuates a little bit and you need to lock in your rates, you're locking your housing costs. Buying is a better way to do that than renting. And people don't think of it that way. They think of buying as more expensive, but it really isn't. It locks in your fixed costs for living. So now if you just make the same amount of money, you should be able to make it. And with inflation being at six, 7%, when you're only getting a 4% raise, you're actually losing 2% each year. So to be able to fix your costs and rental prices are going up six, seven, eight, sometimes 10% a year. I don't know when that's going to stop either. That is a way to lock in your housing costs by actually buying a place versus renting. That's a great point. If you had locked in your rate in 2015, I'm sure a lot of people would be very happy right now paying considerably less for their rent. And then also that the mortgage is also besides the upfront payment is usually less than renting because if you're renting, you're paying off usually the mortgage for someone else. That's right. That's right. If anybody has any questions uh, about that, and I would be happy to send a rent versus own analysis to anybody. So if you want to text me at 303-625-9432, that's 303-625-9432, and just type in rent and I will send you a rent to own analysis. If you want to put what your rent is right now, I can do a custom one for you, but I'll put a generic one in there and it'll automatically send that to you. If you have any questions about renting versus owning, just give me a call and and we'll do that. But I'll text you that rent versus own analysis so you can kind of see year to year how you make that $279,000 over 10 years. That's great. Thank you, Dick. Do you want to continue with the down payment assistance topic? Yeah. So everybody talks about you having to have 20% down, right? You mentioned it just a minute ago, and everybody kind of has that figure in their mind that you need 20% down to buy a house. And that is just not the case. We probably do more less than 20% downs than we do 20% down. So there is some reasons to put 20% down, but you don't have to have that. So if you're a first-time home buyer, most first-time home buyers do not have to save 20% to be able to buy a house. And so we have 3% conventional loans, 3.5% FHA loans, VA loans, you don't have to put any money down. So there's a lot of USDA loans, you don't have to put any money down. So there are a lot of different options and there are good and bads with each one of those loans. And we'll go over those with you with your, whatever your scenario is. On top of that, we also have down payment assistance programs that we have. What that means is you have a three and a half percent FHA loan. We can actually get you 3% or 4% second or a grant that you don't have to pay on, and that will help you with your down payment. There's a few different ones that we can use, and they're kind of county by county. The CHAFA loan is the biggest one, and that's a statewide. And there are some income requirements that you have to be under 
some income requirements and I can give you that information, but they're, they're as high as $140,000 that you can make in your household to $146,720 exactly if you have three people in your household. And uh, there's other layers that are 130,000. And if you're single, it's 83, 80, almost 84,000. So you, you have to make quite a bit of money to get over those. But if you make under that, then we can apply for these down payment assistance funds. And you have to bring a, about $1,000 or, or at least $1,000 to do these down payments. I, I tell people to have about $3,000 to save up, but for $3,000 to buy a $600,000 house, it's not so bad. So there are definitely those things. Now, there are good and bads with those. No money is free. So the interest rate's a little higher for those. Some of them, you have to pay the money back when you sell or refinance. Some of them are grants where you don't have to pay them back. There's one that you have to... It, it, goes down every month for three years, and then it's forgiven. So there's a lot of different ones out there to, and it's very hard to research those yourself. So you might as well just call me and, and let me know what your situation is. And I can kind of walk through the options on those also, because there's a lot of different things out there that we can do to help you out with making that uh, down payment decision. We never want you to use all of your money to buy a house because there are costs and things involved after you're in that house. So we want to make sure that you have enough money um, set aside to, to be able to do that. But we do offer all those down payment assistance programs. And so we can help anybody out with that, that has any questions about that. Sometimes it makes great sense and sometimes it doesn't. So we just kind of compare the, the different options for you and, and then let you kind of make the, the, the final decision on kind of what you want to do. There's a lot of stuff happening in the world right now with Ukraine, Russia, and no one knows the future. What's your expectation or possible forecast for interest rates in the next one to three years? So if I knew the answer to that question, I'd be a very rich person because <laughs> I'd put all my eggs in one basket. But I have worked on the Wall Street side of the equations. I follow the markets quite a bit. And it, it's kind of interesting because the Ukraine situation, everything that's happening is kind of, there's a lot of things that are pulling us one way and a lot of things that are pulling us other ways, right? The, the problem since 2008 that we talked about earlier is the government has kind of artificially kept interest rates low. So it used to be when the something happened, the stock market went up, interest rates went down and vice versa, you know, so it was this, people would buy stocks, they would, if they, they got out of stocks, they'd buy bonds. But what happened is the government started buying treasury bonds and mortgage backed securities. And so they're the number one buyer, they were buying 120 billion dollars a month of these of treasuries and mortgage backed securities. And, and they're continuing to do that. And they've had the Fed funds rate at zero. So that in the Fed funds rate is what banks can borrow 
from the, the government each day. So banks borrow at zero and then they loan us money or loan you money for something. And that's how they make their money. So when the Fed raises those rates, then the banks have to raise their rates on different products to be able to make money on those. And, and we could talk for seven hours on this and, and not come, come into to everything. But basically, what makes it very difficult to predict, because it's going to depend on what the government decides to do. So if the government raises the Fed funds rate, like they've talked about, right, they've talked about raising it three or four Five, I've heard five times this year, that slows the economy. That's usually what they do to slow the economy. So if they slow the economy, that's actually usually good for mortgage rates. So mortgage rates will usually come down. Now, we have the problem with, I don't think they'll do that because with the election year coming up and all this stuff, they can't afford to stall the economy or have us go into a recession or, or, or depression. So they're going to get nervous after they raise this thing a couple times and the economy starts slowing down, which the economy is already slowing because, but they have to do that to get rid of inflation. So bonds don't like inflation. So if we, we need to get rid of inflation for the mortgage rates to go down, the re mortgage rates have gone up almost about a point and a quarter in the last two months because of inflation, because the inflation numbers have gone up. And if we get rid of inflation or we start getting rid of inflation, that will actually be good for mortgage bonds. Now, on the other side, the Fed buying all $100 billion a month in mortgages, if they stop doing that, which they have started to pare that down a little bit, if they start selling those and stop buying buying those securities, that will hurt the interest rates. So interest rates will go up because of that. So it's a supply and demand thing. I don't know how they're going to handle that mix. My prediction is that rates will continue to go up in this. I, I think they'll be in the you know high threes to mid fours for the rest of this year. And I think there's going to be a time when we do go into a recession, which I think we will in the next year and a half, that they will actually come back down to the low threes again. So that's kind of my prediction in the next couple of years is they will probably stay up in this range. I don't think they're going to go up to six or 7%, but I think historically they probably should be at six or 7%. But I don't think the, the government's going to allow that. I think they're going to keep artificially keep those rates in the range that they're in right now for the next year. And then maybe at the start of next year after the elections, that they probably will go into a recession. And next year sometime, those rates uh, will come down in next year sometime. With your Wall Street background, it sounds like you definitely know your stuff. So transitioning away from the loan, we just have a few more minutes here. I just wanted to get to know the man behind the mic a little bit. What are you passionate about? What do you like to do outside of work or what brought you into this industry? Whatever you'd like to talk about so people can get to know you a little bit better. Oh, sure. Well, what brought me into the industry is interesting. I owned a business and I sold it back a long time ago. And then I decided, hey, what am I going to do? So I wanted to really work in things that would help me in investing. 
So I wanted to do some real estate, some residential real estate. I wanted to learn commercial real estate and I wanted to learn stocks and bonds. So I actually went to work for a commercial real estate place for a little while. Then I dabbled in uh, residential real estate. And then I worked for Charles Schwab for a long time, learning the investment world and worked with active traders and actually ran the team that did the first advice at Charles Schwab. And we did technical analysis and, and did that. And when I left Charles Schwab, I wanted to get into something. I liked financial planning. I liked helping people with their finances. So mortgages was much less regulated back then. And now it's more regulated, I think, than the other was. I, I wanted to really help people build wealth and help people. And right now, I, I think that the, your mortgage is the most important thing. And the stock market is so manipulated. And so the government controls, like I was talking about, all those things, it's really hard to predict. So I, I wanted something that I could really help everyday families to really gain wealth through through real estate. So that's kind of why I got in this business. I have two teenage daughters that keep me very busy and three dogs. I have two pugs and a French bulldog. They keep me busy too, but we like to do a lot of outdoor things, a lot of skiing and biking and that type of stuff. It's crazy around here trying to keep up with the schedule and figure out where we need to be tonight and all that kind of thing. And getting uh, kids driving new cars and, and things like that. It's a crazy time, but I really enjoy helping people with making these decisions because I, I think that that's what really I have passion for because these are big decisions and, and people do need kind of guidance to walk them through the steps. I, I am working on a first-time homebuyer class that is online. If anybody is interested in that, and I should have that put together here pretty quickly. I've been working on it for a while, so it should be online pretty quickly. If anybody's interested in that, you can use that same text line, 303-625-9432, and just uh, type in FTB, first time home buyer. And I will get you the information on the class. And it just kind of walks you through the basics. Uh, a lot of people need to be kind of walked through and they like to learn uh, a lot about it. So I will put a class together for, for that and just help anybody that wants. And that's my passion. It's not just to buy a house and not to sell houses or anything like that, but it's to really help put people in the right position to build wealth through real estate. Last question I have for you, Dick, I mentioned at the very beginning that you have a podcast. Would you like to talk about that at all? Yeah, it's the Colorado Real Estate Experience, and it's just all about building wealth through real estate. We have some guests that we bring on, some tax experts, credit experts, that type of thing. And we also just talk about Colorado in general and things to do and that type of thing, but kind of want to make it an educational thing that can really help people learn about financing and learn about real estate and how they mix together and what you can do just to help yourself uh, move forward in your uh, financial goals. Great. Anything else you want to mention before I wrap it up here, Dick? No, it was great. Uh, great talking to you. And like I said, anybody can either text or, or call me and we'll definitely help you out any way that we can with any real estate or financial needs. And there's a lot of things we actually go through with people looking at even 
insurance, wills, and and their whole financial picture. And we don't make any money on that kind of stuff. We just want to make sure that you're thinking about those things. And then we can refer you to people that that can help you out with that kind of stuff. But we, we do really look at your full financial picture to make sure that this one decision fits into everything else and that you're thinking about everything else uh, that you're doing. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Dick. I appreciate your time. Great. Have a great day. I'm Clayton Rauscher, Broker Associate with Gourmet Real Estate, Inc., located here in Denver, Colorado. When you know of someone looking to buy or sell real estate in the greater Denver and Boulder area, please reach out to Clayton at gourmetrealestate.com or 602-989-3960. Thank you.